Hello, everyone, and welcome to DC Talks Rocks. Though for a little while here, DC going to just be talking MLB and CBA and all of this, right? And lockout. Welcome to the lockout, folks. As of yesterday, at least as of the recording of this, uh, Major League Baseball has officially entered a lockout. I'll talk about what that means, why it is, what's going on with the CBA. I figured for this one, look, we're going to need to do several conversations on this, right? There's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of details to dive into, but we've got to start with a big overview, a big setup. A couple of you were asking in the Discord channel, you know, just what are the, the key issues here? And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to, we're going to set this up and just talk about you know, why does there seem to be so much tension between the players and the owners? What are their major areas of difference? And what are some potential solutions? So, and like I said, we'll have plenty of time later to dive into details. You're going to hear me do a lot of sort of surface level. Um, and then some of this is going on and if you'll have questions, I'm sure. And I'll have questions. There's a lot to dive into here, but Let's start with the two big issues of why there is a lockout right now. One, this was probably inevitable anyway, and I'll get back to that in a minute. But there's a second thing that needs to be a sort of constant caveat hovering over all of these conversations, which is the pandemic and the role that that played, and particularly how negotiations to play during the year of 2020 went and how some of that's coming home to roost probably now. What's interesting about this part of it is neither the players nor the owners are likely to engage in public conversation admitting that this is an issue because most of it's going to have to do with the you know, real tangible contractual issues that I'll talk about in just a second. But the fact is, the owners were not happy that the players more or less forced their hand through public shaming to have a baseball season at all. In the owners' minds, they lost money, he said in giant air quotes, by having a season where they couldn't have fans because they couldn't sell tickets and therefore in-stadium merchandise and overpriced beer and all of those things. So by having to play those games and not having any fans in the building, but having to pay their players and staff, and some of them you know, fired a bunch of people, they were really upset about that. And there's long been a belief that they were going to try to recoup those funds one way or another, right? And that this lockout, no matter what the players had come with in terms of an offer to get started, was just going to happen because the owners want to play, say, 60 fewer games, right? Because they had to play 60 games at their own expense in their mind. So if they could cut off 60 games of the 2022 season, and then just go from there, I think there's a school of thought amongst ownership that would be just happy enough to do that. Now, do I think that's an inevitability? 
No, I, I think there are ways to get around it. I do think that would still be a big PR disaster, and they probably recognize that. But because of all that, I think they're just going to be that much more difficult to deal with because most of the issues, as they always do in these kinds of contractual negotiations, right? It comes down to money. It's always about money and the owners having more than their fair share of the pie is what the players would argue. And I I tend to agree that the players don't get enough of the revenue that comes into Major League Baseball. And not only that, but we're now living in an era where there are heavy structural incentives for owners to not spend money, to essentially penny pinch on their players. And owners are inclined to point to you know, individual contracts like the one Max Scherzer just signed and say, hey, look, we're still paying guys big, huge money, and, and fans say owners could pay anybody that amount of money, and that's not quite accurate, but it's also closer to the truth than what the owners are suggesting, which is that they have to essentially play money ball, right? There's this growing consensus that you don't have to spend money to win. In fact, you you shouldn't spend money in pursuit of trying to win. And that has become poisonous for the sport. I've mentioned the quote before. It's really worth bringing up again because it sits right at the center of this entire issue. And it was Theo Epstein saying, you know, kind of jokingly, I ruined the game a little bit. And this is what he was talking about by putting such a heavy incentive and really, you know, media and fans going out of their way to valorize the basic idea of underpaying your entire staff. Like, forget for a second that they're baseball players and they're these otherworldly athletes and they're on tv and it makes it feel like they're all different from us for, th- think about it just for a second as a place of work because it's also that and and each one of these guys understands it that way right it is a place of work that you go into every day you see your co-workers often in the summer baseball players see their co-workers way more than they see their families right and The strategy has basically become, for everyone except for the Yankees and the Dodgers, and now apparently the Mets, (laughs) pay everyone who works for you less than what they are worth because that is the way that you maximize your ultimate output. So that... In a nutshell, again, it's more complicated and there's a lot of details to it, but that is the player's problem, right? Think, for example, about the career of DJ LeMayhew. DJ LeMayhew has never been paid what he's worth. Because of the way baseball rules work, which is that when you're a young player, your salary is artificially held down. You can only make... 500,000 first years, you know, million dollars. So if you didn't get a signing bonus, you're you're really not 
getting anything as a young ball player. And uh, this has been well documented. We'll have to get into this some other time. But there's been all kinds of issues with paying minor leaguers over the years, and they're getting better at that. But it's a whole other can of worms. So just starting as a rookie in Major League Baseball, right, your salary is artificially held to the lowest it can be unless a team comes out and really decides to do something wild and creative early. They've got you under team control through your arbitration years, right? And arbitration is the process that really is, again, at the heart of everything that's screwed up here. It artificially holds the younger player salaries lower, so they can't get, if they have a huge, incredible, amazing year, they can still only make so much more the next year. And if they want more than that, they have to go into court and argue with it and, and argue with their team, and it creates this terribly contentious situation, which most players and teams try to avoid. And it's just an absurd process. There's no other sport that does this arbitration thing. And it's really ridiculous. And so, you know, DJ LeMayhew, for the first several years of his career, was worth several million dollars. Not way, way more than he was getting paid because he wasn't a star player. But because he wasn't a star player, he didn't put up huge numbers. He only made a little bit more here and there. You know, you don't get paid in arbitration based on your defense or any of these other things. And it's not, you know, free market value. On the market, people would recognize the quality of his contact and his defense or maybe say, hey, we think our scouts can get the most out of this guy and invest more in him. But the Rockies, and this is every team has players like this, we're just getting this great deal. A guy who was doing all these things for their team, but his salary was just held artificially low basically up until the point that he became a free agent and even in free agency because people didn't know how he was going to do outside of Coors Field he didn't get this huge deal got a two-year deal with the Yankees they were maybe going to have him as a backup then he has huge seasons but now he's on the other side of 30 and there's all this CBA stuff up in the air and there are questions about whether or not the power is going to maintain, because it really did start to drop off. And one of those years was a shortened season, so he didn't get the full benefit of that. And signs another okay contract. This is exactly because now he's past his prime, right? But he never got paid during his prime for his prime, right? And so this is the problem that the players have. There are just a bunch of stories like that throughout baseball of guys who should have gotten paid what they were worth when they were at their best, which is usually from ages 26 to 28. But a lot of these guys don't become free agents until they're 29. Or like Trevor Story's 28 right now, right? Just became a free agent. So somebody is going to sign him and get, you know, maybe another year or two of his prime, and then they've got to be guessing and betting on how he's going to age and and what he's going to be into his early and mid 30s if they want to sign him to a long-term deal and most players especially now that we're pretty well past the steroid era don't age well into their 30s don't maintain you know every element of their game so guys need to be able to get paid earlier arbitration needs to either be completely reworked or gotten rid of in favor of another system, which almost certainly won't happen. That would take a lot of work on everyone's part. And it should happen. But I just don't know that there's the will on either side to come up with a completely new system. So just kind of refining it to some degree is going to help. But that's 
more or less what the players are after, right? They want a bigger piece of the pie, which I think is fair. And again, we can dive into the details on that at a future date. But the most important thing is that they want to be paid fairly for their work, right? It's as simple as that. They want to be paid market value for what they are worth and not have all these arbitrary rules holding down their salaries and a lack of rules like potentially a salary floor or a few other things that could incentivize owners actually spending money rather than being cheap and claiming that it's for good strategy, right? And so that becomes a fundamental problem with the state of the game of baseball because as we've just seen, you know, with Atlanta or a few other teams throughout the years, it's not always the big spenders that win the World Series. The big spenders do have a great big advantage in terms of getting into the postseason, but there's always one or two scrappy little underdogs that sneak in, and they tend to win the World Series about 40% of the time. And then the other 60, yeah, it's, it, it's the big, bad, meanie teams. But, you know, so you do have this problem where the A's and the Rays and some of these other teams to, to some degree have shown that it is just viable to do that. And so what are some of the solutions? One of the biggest ones you're going to hear a lot about, and this one's really interesting because there's a lot of different ways I think you can guess at the impact of expanded postseason, right? I think expanded postseason is a good potential solution to all of these problems it's not the entire solution to any of them, but it, it helps alleviate parts of all of them. Because I think if you've got more teams that can make the postseason, it's going to incentivize more owners to spend a little bit to be relevant, that you've got a shot, that you don't have to tank. I still think there need to be things like salary floors for teams. You have to spend a certain amount of money. You can't just purposefully not buy ball players and and not have you know, not field a competitive team. Uh, you know, they're, I don't know that anything too much has to be done with the draft, as I've always argued. Like, it's just weird to me that people think, that <laughs> people treat the MLB draft like it's the NBA or NFL draft, and it, it's just not. There's enough, I think, just ambiguity and uncertainty to the MLB draft that you can leave that alone. Though I would very much like to see them make it possible for you to trade draft picks. I think that goes a long way, too, toward helping some of these, you know, mid and lower market teams build. Uh, again, you've got to pay younger players more, but it is still to the benefit. And that is the other side. You know, that is the flip side. If you're taking the earnest, you know, opposite argument of why not pay younger players more, that is one of the ways that these mid and lower market teams have been able to compete is by being smart at drafting and developing. Even the Rockies, when they were relevant in 17 and 18, it was Almost everybody on that team was underpaid. Not the big star players, like Nolan was starting to get his money and all of that. But even Trevor, when he first came up, you know, guys like David Dahl, the entire pitching staff on their rookie deals, you know, that's a big benefit to small and mid-market teams. It really is. But if everyone has to spend more, then everyone will spend more. But also expanding the postseason creates more revenue for the owners because more teams make the postseason. It's more postseason revenue. People are excited about those games because they matter more. They spend more on those games. You can charge more for those games. All the things that come with that. Now, 
there is the integrity of the game question. Absolutely fair. And I've, I honestly used to be on that side of it. I used to be on the side of do not expand the postseason any more than it already is past the second wild card. I'm a baseball purist. I think the regular season should matter. If you get to the end of the marathon, you deserve to be there. And if you just happen to catch the hot team at the wrong time, who's like a 12 seed or whatever, that's going to be super frustrating. But guess what? That happens anyway. It just does. It's the nature of the game of baseball. Get to the dance. See what happens. I say make the dance more fun. I would like to see them do, you know, real seeding and and try to make it so that there are advantages to teams that win their division or, or win the most number of games and that the teams who kind of sneak in at the back end of the newly expanded postseason have a, a harder time getting to deeper rounds. But I think it helps everybody involved. I, I think it does give, and, and there's a, there seems to be a player argument out there that if you expand it too much, well, then play, owners won't spend on players because they figure they'll make the postseason no matter what. So <laughs> I, I think that's kind of an interesting argument. I think, you, you know, there's a happy medium there. I think this is one of the places where both sides want expanded postseason, honestly, because it's more fun for the players. It's more revenue for everybody. It does make it so that you don't feel like your season is over halfway through the year, which is good for fans and players and everybody. It's just good for the game. And, and I know I get the old school mentality. I really, really do. Like I said, I've been of it for most of my life. But I think it's going to be for better for everybody involved. if They expand the postseason a little bit. And I, help it, I think it can go a long way in a lot of these negotiations. What else can be done? Like I said, the, the trading of draft picks. Uh, a few other things that I think need to be on the table. I'm not at all surprised that these early negotiations went for minutes and not hours, and there was just kind of a standing up and walking away. Yes, I read the public statement from Rob Manfred. No, it's not good at all in any way. As you all know, I've never been a fan of his. I have written and talked about several times that I think he should have resigned, that I thought he should have resigned a while ago. He has a chance to maybe save some of his legacy, I guess, if he can turn out a, a decent process here. Not off to a good start. Uh, though, like I said, this part I, I just knew was coming, that there was going to be some kind of lockout. There was going to be some kind of retribution for what went down in 2020. And this is basically all the owners can do. But there's time here. We've got until, you know, I think pitchers and catchers report February 15th. And so they've got time to come together uh, to try to get together on some of these things. A lot of these ideas aren't going to be so popular. Things like the universal DH, though, again, that's another thing that both sides do really want. Players want it because it's more people in their union, another job, uh, more opportunity for players with a specified skill set to get jobs, which they like, right, and get paid well for them. And owners like it because... It's more exciting. Rob Manfred has shown a, a very clear, I'll say bias, I guess, or focus on more excitement in the game, making the game go faster, doing whatever, the, the whole juiced ball stuff, all that, you know, more action in the game. And not watching pitchers hit makes the game more exciting for the casual viewer. However much any traditionalist, including my former self, would feel about the strategy of it and the purity of it and, again, all of those things, this is a small concession that everyone can make. They can come together and say, 
Let's help out the players and the owners with Universal DH and expanding the postseason a little bit. That doesn't bring them everywhere, and the players are still going to say, okay, but at the end of the day, the baseline strategy for anyone who's not uber rich, right, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Cubs, although sometimes they decide to be cheap anyway, which is a whole other thing I can get into sometime. Boston, which does that also. And again, it's because of this. This is the ultimate problem. So those other things are big and, and nice and good, and they may you know, ultimately lead to a change in strategy, but there has to be an explicit understanding. And I do think a salary floor is the only way to do this, and I don't know that the owners are ever going to agree to that. We'll see, because they feel like they've got the power here. But it's not good for the sport. It's not good for the short or long-term health of the sport for the basic underlying principle to be underpay your players. Underpay your whole team, because when you do that, you're creating an excess of theoretical value that you can then use on, you know, it's just, that's not a good business model on a fundamental level for any business. Your workers are just not going to stand for that for so long. And the only thing that the players really have is their labor, is their work, right? And while, yeah, the owners can lock them out for a little while and say, hey, we're going to recoup our funds. Ultimately, there's no game without the players. And if the players stick together and say, no, we don't think that a system that artificially holds down our salaries away from what market value would have them be simply so that you guys can pocket them while claiming smart strategy is fair. And it's not. The owners have all the power and all the leverage here except for that one thing. So we'll see how long this goes. It could go for a while. You know, I fear it might because of that last thing, because they could get a number of concessions and I could still see the players rightfully coming together and saying, we haven't solved the problem. We've done some nice things to put a dent in the problem, but we're going to go right back to a system where these guys are going to keep you know, they'll pay one or two guys for sure, and then everyone else is going to get totally screwed and media and fans aren't going to call them on it because they've all decided it's smart, clever strategy and they don't care that it's just fundamentally unfair to the players, the people that make the game go, the people that provide 100% of the highlights. The owners have gotten away with this crap for way too long, if you ask me. That's the other thing. I'm not going to pretend to be some sort of middle-of-the-road arbiter. I will try to, you know, be 100% objective about all the facts and all of that, but I, I clearly stand with the players on all of this because the owners have made quite a bit of money over the last couple of decades from Major League Baseball. They've not shared that money in what I feel is a fair proportional amount with the players. And they have figured out a way 
to not pay market value, which is just, that's, everyone should get paid what the market says their value is worth. And that's, otherwise, all of the other things that we say about the free market capitalism of our society fall down and don't make any sense and don't work. If your employer can just decide to pocket the excess, it's pretty bad. So, again, like I said, we'll get into deeper and deeper details, a few other ideas for some things that could be on the table as far as new rules or procedures or some reforms that can be made to some of the systems uh, governing Major League Baseball. There's a lot of stuff on the table. I can talk a little bit about some of the people involved, I guess. Let me know in the Discord and down in the comments what are the elements you'd like to hear about next. I can talk a little bit about Tony Perez and the Players Association. I know some people wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that Dick Monfort is involved with this on the owner's side. I've certainly got some thoughts there, though I think I think there's uh, much ado about nothing on that. I feel like that's, you know, like Rockies fans kind of wriggling terrible Rockiesness into the Tyler Matzik conversation. It's like Dick Monfort is a representative, representative of the owners during the CBA really has nothing to do is in no way related to his failings as an owner. It's kind of funny to note that he's around and, and part of it, but they're just very different things. So, But we can talk a little bit more about that. Uh, like I said, the people involved, what's going on moving forward, any specific reports that you or I read between now and the next time we chat, let me know. But for now, I'll leave it there. Thank you all for being absolutely awesome. I promise to continue being absolutely Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.